Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 18th pick of the 2008 NFL Draft, the Baltimore Ravens select Joe Flacco, quarterback, Delaware. The man has returned. The artist known as Joe Flacco, the elite quarterback, is playing quarterback for the New York Jets once again on Sunday. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty meh. Uh, Zach Wilson is not playing again. And the draft season boys are here to talk about what to do with this hapless franchise. Guys, I need to pick me up today. How are we doing? I'm doing it right, Meigs. I feel a little bad for Mike White. He went from the self-proclaimed first pick in the draft to Mr. Irrelevant in approximately four quarters. So I got to tip my hat to him. The season or the game that was Mike White, rest in peace. I will say, though, that we are giving away two free tickets to the upcoming Dolphins game. So if people saw my tweet today... You just got to DM me the phrase that pays or the statement that wins. I'm not sure. I think phrase that pays could have potentially been trademarked. I don't know. So the statement that wins or the phrase that pays is wacko flacco. So first person to DM me wacko flacco, you win the tickets to this week's Dolphins game. James, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to dig into these prospects. These are some really cool players that I don't think we've talked about yet. So uh, I'm excited to be here, man. Hold on a second, because there was no comment about the wacko flacco. It was just write to James, like, how you doing? Just offer yeah, two free tickets. It was like, come into my DM. I'm to think wacko about flacco. I mean, it's like, James, how you doing? Hey, is it James, a good day? Joe, it's 2021. Joe Flacco's playing quarterback for the Jets, all right? This isn't 2012. Honestly, we're here, the we're here together. end in 2012 at this Cheer point. Cheer up. We got prospects to talk about. It's going to be fun. Come on. Yeah. Dylan, how are you? I'm doing very well, you know, as well as a Jets franchise led by Joe Flacco, uh, being a fan of that could be. I'm doing fairly well. I get to talk about one of my favorite players in this draft today, as unbiased as that is. So I couldn't really be happier. Yeah, no, a lot of people uh, talk about how many uh, offensive linemen this team needs in building, you know, that wall around Zach Wilson that he had at BYU. But uh, this offense... Can never have you know can never have too many playmakers. Feels like every year, like deep wide receiver class, deep wide receiver draft is what you hear, and it just becomes a staple. And I think we got another one this year. So we're gonna kick it off with a nice debate about two Big Ten wide receivers. And uh Dylan, I'm gonna start with you about one of your own Nittany Lions. So let me hear it. 
I'm very excited. I've had the opportunity to watch bulk of his season, and this is a guy I've liked from the start of his Penn State career. After KJ Hamler left a few years ago, he was able to take a bump and get a lot more playing time, and the production has gone with it. Jahan Dotson is not your typical 5'11 receiver. He's an advanced route runner. He has absurd awareness and concentration as a catcher. He can play in the, at the perimeter and play fairly well. He can play in the slot, and he's so sneaky athletic that they've used him in a lot of RPO options this year. They've used him out of the back field hell he's thrown the ball a couple times he's played a little uh trick play quarterback and looked even better than Sean Clifford and I want to kind of talk about that and without kind of slandering our Penn State quarterback here but he does have Sean Clifford at quarterback and Sean Clifford does not throw the cleanest football sometimes because of his happy feet and running all over the pocket and a lot of the concentration and awareness has been my biggest draw with Jahan Dotson and it's being able to reach out and grab a lot of these not so clean throws by Sean Clifford and I think that he's shown a lot of control a lot of poise I think his route tree is very advanced actually and I think his biggest knock is going to be his stature but I think you see a lot of guys play at 5'11 and excel on the outside and there's a guy in Emmanuel Sanders who has versatility that he reminds me of and I think he's somebody who I see a lot of a lot of comparison in and I think they could kind of compare well at the next level. So I like Jahan Dotson a lot. I think for the New York Jets, he has that sneaky athleticism that would work well. He can play outside. He can play in the slot. I think there's a lot of versatility with Dotson, and I think he'd be a great asset. Yeah, no, I really like Jahan Dotson as well. And there's another wide receiver that got a lot of headlines, like Jahan Dotson. He is kind of at the mercy of his quarterback, and he plays for Purdue, and his name's David Bell. James, let me hear all about David Bell. Yeah, so David Bell, wide receiver for Purdue. He's six foot two, 205 pounds, and he's a true junior. So this is a scheme transcendent prospect, in my opinion. He's somebody who can succeed in any NFL offense that he's placed into. He can separate at all levels of the field, short, intermediate, and deep. And he has a real route tree, not just one of those college route trees where you're running a hitch, a smoke screen, and a go route. He has extremely good hands because he really is tough as nails. He's the type of guy who, if you had a gun to your head and you need somebody to catch a ball, he's the guy that you would pick. In fact, there's a play against Notre Dame where he's running a dig over the middle of the field. The ball is wildly thrown behind him, and he's able to get two hands on the ball, reel it in right as he's about to get rocked by a safety over the middle. And this guy's on the ground for like 10 seconds, not moving at all, but he still maintained possession of the ball. And that's the type of toughness that David Bell brings to the wide receiver position. He has incredible ball tracking skills. He has incredible body control and ability to adjust to all types of throws, whether they're behind him, around him. I mean, he's incredible in that regard. It's the type of like underrated, difficult to describe athleticism and body control that you saw at some points from Jamar Chase in his sophomore season, in my opinion. This guy's the real deal. He's probably going to end up as my wide receiver too in this entire class. You know, I see shades of Robert Woods, shades of Adam Thiel in here. He has true XZ versatility, uh, and he already has two 1,000-yard receiving seasons under his belt. So I, I really couldn't speak more highly of David Bell. He's a player who's not getting a ton of mainstream buzz because he plays for a boring program, but he's going to be a first-round pick, no doubt. Joe, uh, I'll go to you, and I'll see if I can pick your brain on which of these two uh, Big Ten wide receivers, which one do you prefer? All right, so the debate between Jahan Dotson and David Bell. Well, let me touch on David Bell first. I can't say um, – as enthusiastic about David Bell as James is, I think he's a really solid wide receiver. I think we can go back to 
the podcast a couple of weeks ago where James described Kenny Walker as this kind of player who is the jack of all trades and master of none. Now, I wouldn't say David Bell is exactly that player, but I do kind of see him in that same light. I think he's just really good at everything. He's a really good route runner. He's, I mean, really crisp in and out of his breaks. I think he's a pretty dynamic receiver in his own right, but I never see him developing into this like really bona fide wide receiver one at the next level. I see him as more of like a wide receiver too, somebody who's kind of the second best receiver on his team, somewhat unheralded in the NFL community, but really a crowd favorite, somebody that the team that he plays for, they just absolutely love. And if I'm going to compare him to somebody, I saw a lot of Michael Gallup in his game. I think that that's a really good trajectory for who I think he could be at the next level. Really solid wide receiver too. Somebody who could potentially have a thousand yard season and be, like I said, that really good second option on a team. Now, if I'm going to compare him to Jahan Dotson, I feel like I just have Jahan Dotson ranked a lot higher than I do David Bell. I feel like Jahan Dotson is a bona fide round one pick. I have David Bell more in that second round range. I feel like Jahan Dotson is like Brandon Cooks reincarnate. Obviously, Brandon Cooks is still around, so I'm not going to say he like passed away, but he's just, he reminds me a lot of Brandon Cooks, especially with what he does down the field, his route running, his releases from the line of scrimmage. I love how when he's going up against somebody in off-man coverage, how he squares that guy up and just like burns him with a double move. It's really like, a, it's a thing of beauty. If it came down to picking between these two guys, it would be a really easy selection for me to go with the Dotson. I really love everything that Dylan said about him. I think he was pretty spot on with his analysis. And honestly, if you were going to be comparing somebody to Dotson, I think that a more comparable player would have been probably Chris Olave. That's probably who I would have put up, pinned up against him if you were having this debate between me and Dylan. But love the take. But sorry, James, I'm going with the Dotson on this round. Yeah, as the leader of the Chris Olave Hive, uh, just comparing anyone to him, it's something I'm always going to push back on. So if you guys wanted uh, to compare those two, you can blame me for that because I think David Bell is a similar player to Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson, I'll talk about him first. I really like. Um, I really – I don't think their games are entirely similar, but the way that Jahan Dotson wins, like, contested catches for a guy who's only 5'11", reminds me a lot of what Debo Samuel does for the 49ers, who was really an absurdly good contested catch receiver for a guy who's a little smaller. I think their games at, with the ball in their hands are different, but I do think – you will see that at the next level. Jahan Dotson is the guy who's always going to compete for the ball, even though he's not the tallest guy. David Bell, to me, is just the more traditional wide receiver. And to Joe's point about we talked about Kenneth Walker being a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, um, I do see David Bell as that. I see him as someone who's really good at everything, but he doesn't have one thing that I would say is a special trait or elite trait. But in a wide receiver – I find that way more appealing than I do in a running back. And that's why I'm high, a little higher on David Bell than I am on Jahan Dotson. I just think that David Bell is a guy who I don't know if I would put as in the first round, but I think he's going to be like a guy who's going to go in the high twenties, low thirties, and he's just going to be a rock solid football player. He's going to be, if he, he's going to be a high end wide receiver too. And I think that's really valuable in today's NFL. Like we look at some of the best wide receiver twos in the NFL, like Chris Godwin's a wide receiver too. He's a really, really good football player. The guy that Joe brought up, Michael Gallup, who has now become wide receiver three on his team is a really, really good football player. So I just like David Bell. I like that. I just think there are more ways where David Bell is a higher impact player than Jahad Dotson in my mind. So that's why I just want to go with the guy I think has less variance. So uh, I'll side with James on this. And I feel like we have a nice two-on-two that everyone has their opinions and it's going to be a nice topic to debate throughout the season. Yeah, I just honestly don't, I don't understand how you can go with David Bell over Dotson. I'm sorry. Jahad Dotson is like a more electric David Bell. 
he's like electric bell, but you infuse like this energy into his body. He does everything he does, but at a higher level. So I respect your opinion, but I had to, I had to add that in there. Dylan, it's yeah, you, buddy. I, mean, yeah, I watch David Bell you versus the world, next bro. to Rondell Moore, and I've seen electricity next to him. I just like what David Bell brings to the table. I do. But now I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball. And something that everyone on this podcast agrees with is that the Jets' young corners have done okay. Bryce Hall is a good football player, but they need talent in this room. And there are a lot of talented corners in this class, and we're going to talk about two of them. Joe, I'm going to let you start about the man who might have the second best name in this entire draft after my guy Smoke Monday. Tell me about Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner. Yeah, the Jets should draft him just on his nickname alone. Now, he might need a couple more ingredients to make the sauce right, but the recipe is looking pretty good from my angle. Really only his only flaw from my perspective is that he needs to add some weight and get stronger. Now, he's very physical and he doesn't shy away from contact, but he looks like he's 170 pounds soaking wet. Sometimes I wonder if he goes up against the wrong running back, like, like a Derrick Henry, will the sauce get spilled all over the field? I mean, it could get messy. I mean, I hope not. It hasn't been an issue yet, but regardless, when it comes to Gardner, listen, this guy is the true definition of a shutdown corner. He hasn't given up a touchdown in his entire career. He excels in press, zone, and off man, which is something I can't really say for Kyrielum, who is very vulnerable to twitched up receivers when he's in space. And we could touch on that later. I'm sure Meeks has some questions. Anyway, Garner is a, a master at pinning a wide receiver to the sideline, getting hip to hip with him down the field. And I think Elam is almost equally good at this, but Garner's instincts to turn around for the ball at the perfect time is something that Elam struggles with at times. It's just not as inherent to his game, let's say that. Now, Garner can get beat at times. I'm not going to act like he's perfect, but even when he does get beat, he has the recovery speed to catch up. And although he might be trailing and not have the opportunity to turn around for the ball at the ideal time, he does a great job of playing the wide receiver's hands and making a play on the ball anyway. Really beautiful stuff. And in zone, very good route recognition and ability to read a quarterback's eyes and pick up his cues and really put himself into position to make a play. A great example of this was against Notre Dame when somebody actually tried to take him out of his zone and he was playing in the shorter zones, sat perfectly, and actually was an errant throw and actually ended up getting the interception on that play because he did a really fine job of really understanding how the play was going to develop and what the quarterback was doing. I guess the biggest difference between Elam and Gardner and why I prefer Gardner for the Jets is that Elam belongs on a team that deploys a lot of cover one or man. He's a, a very good press corner. Teams like the Saints, Cardinals, Patriots, Dolphins would be really good fits. I just don't trust him for the most part in a system whose roots are based in a cover three. As I said, Elam is extremely vulnerable to twitched up receivers in space. He's easily fooled on a double move or a stutter step. Even a wide receiver from Sanford made him look silly. And let's talk about this Sanford game. This was last week. I don't know if anybody knows who Stanford is. Stanford is a division one school and they play teams like Citadel and Mercer and Furman, you know, teams that nobody cares about. Right. And, you know, kudos to them because they really went blow to blow at Florida in that game. And the final score was 70 52. And it was really Florida kind of pulled away into the fourth quarter somehow, but really it was, it was a pretty interesting game. It shouldn't have been, but let's talk about Elam in that game because I think it's noteworthy. So the first thing I noticed in that game was this guy named Cheeks for Stanford. And I think that's fitting because Elam played like total ass. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, he played like total ass. Now, you could take a look at the stat sheet and say, all right, 11 targets, five catches for 26 yards. And you're like, all right, fine. You know, doesn't look so bad. He only gave up 26 yards. But that doesn't really tell the tale of that game. He was stacked a couple of times. On one part, a wide receiver took him up the seam route, faked him with like this little juke to the outside. Elam didn't bite. But then, boom, the wide receiver took the out again. 
And the only thing that stuck with that wide receiver on that play was Elam's soul because the dude snatched it. It was disgusting. Like, honestly, I was like, wait, this is the first round cornerback? Michael Megan's CB1. I was, I gotta be honest with you, after that, I was a little shocked. So um, one other thing I thought was noteworthy in that game was that, again, the targets, 11 targets in that game. So Samford, this kind of school that nobody knows about, came in and said, you know that round one quarterback, Kagiri Elam? We're going to target that dude 11 times. Really? 11 times? Could you imagine if Ahmad Gardner was playing in that game? How many times do you think that Ahmad Gardner would have been targeted in that game? Two times, three times, maybe zero? They wouldn't have dared throw the ball at his part of the field. All right. So one other thing I think, I guess, is noteworthy on a whole other thing. I think we're talking about Gardner versus Elam, particularly in man situations, was Gardner's ability to mirror even a wide receiver that gets to cross his face, like on a slant. Dude's like a wet blanket. He makes things really uncomfortable for them. He's just really sticky, like white on rice. Elam gives up more separation in those situations than he should. And it is, again, vulnerable to getting beat. Um, I think that if you go back to your Alabama game, he's really lucky that Bryce Young had issues with ball placement in that game. Otherwise, he would have easily given up over 100 yards and probably two touchdowns in that game. So in the end, when we're talking about the Jets, between these two particular players, I'll just reiterate, Garner's just a better fit and just an overall better player than Kair Elam. Sorry, Meeks. I just think he's a bit overrated. Yeah, Joe, I could not disagree more with probably everything you said because – the exact way you feel about Kyer Elam is how I feel about Ahmed Gardner. I think Ahmed Gardner or Sauce Gardner is a great press man corner. I think he reminds me a lot of what we saw of JC Horn last year, but he actually has ball production, which I think is a plus for Gardner. And I think Gardner is a better player. And I think he's great for those schemes, but I think he's going to be the one who's going to struggle in zone. And I think that, when you see Cincinnati, Cincinnati, obviously, they're going to be talked about this year about the schedule they play and will they actually get into the playoff. And they had their two games against Power Fives. They had Indiana, who isn't really great this year, and Notre Dame. And I thought Gardner played really well against Notre Dame. I don't think that's a great wide receiver. I don't think he gets to see a lot of good wide receivers, which isn't his fault. And that's kind of just a shame because I, you want, I want to see Cincinnati in the playoff because I want to see Gardner play uh, against like the top competition. And we kind of I don't, we kind of got to see Georgia last year, but that was a kind of a weird bowl game where they were only really playing their best guys. But in regards to Elam, like I watched Kyrie Elam play Georgia. He didn't let up a catch. He has had three games this season where he hasn't let up a catch once. So I think he's the perfect corner for this scheme. I think he's got the perfect length. He's 6'2". He's 200 pounds. And I think he's basically what Robert Sala is looking for. When you look back to the Seattle days and what – the perfect Seattle corner looks like it's Kyrie Elam. And I think he's gets better year after year. He was really good as a freshman. He was really good last year. Devonte Smith took his soul. Devonte Smith took a lot of souls. Derek Stingley is still looking for Devonte Smith. Oh, hold on, hold on a second. Meigs. Devonte Smith took, you said Kyrie Elam's soul, correct? Yeah. Oh yes, he did. All right, good. I thought you said the opposite for a second. No, dude, he didn't even. Kyrie Elam didn't even look like he belonged in that Alabama game. I was like, to Derek Stingley. I'm not going to hold that against I mean, both. Of- I, I was just like, dude, I don't know what the hype is about Kyrie Elam when they were picking yeah. game. I he really kind of fell deep down on my chart after that. And then look, let's talk about the Alabama game this year. Mate. What did you think about the Alabama game this year? Did you did you think it, did you think it played well? I mean, in regards to Alabama game like that year, I thought it was honestly like Florida's been such a mess this year, and I think he's like becoming the only decent part about them because like that defense is terrible now 
Like they were solid last year. They weren't great. And I thought that was going to be the strength of the teams. They lost all their weapons. They're like Pitts is gone. Tony's gone. But I really, like I said, I think he's been one of the lone bright spots. Like that Sanford game, like if you look at the amount of times he's been targeted before that, like it's been low numbers. I thought I was surprised that Sanford targeted him as much as they did and they were trying to go after him. And I thought he was up to the challenge, like you said. You know why that is? is? Why is that, Joe? Because Elam just does not gardener that kind of respect, my friend. Okay, that's the bottom line. Let's, let's talk about the Alabama game for one sec, because I, I think it's important. I heard somebody, well, I don't want to say who it is, say that he played very well in this Alabama game. And yes, he did play better than last season, for sure, where he, like I said, didn't even belong on the field. He was targeted seven times in that game. Two catches, like two catches for like, I think 36 yards. I believe he gave up a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But again, that doesn't tell the whole tale of that particular game. Those other five incompletions, two of them were horribly placed balls. One of them should have been a pass interference. And the other one was um, a clear drop by Mechie down the field. So it really should have been six for seven, over 100 yards, and probably two touchdowns. He was horrible. I mean, honestly, I, I, I know you love him. He's, he's your CB1. I have a lot of respect for you. I got a lot of respect for your takes. But I, I just don't understand how people can watch Kier Elam and put him in the same classes like a Derek Stingley. It makes, no, it makes absolutely no sense to me. All right, Well, I'm going to toss this to James and Ben because – I'm sorry, James and Dylan, my apologies. Now you got – now James has been in my head about this, but uh, I'll see what their takes are. But, uh, yeah, James, let me hear it. Well, it's hard not to be swayed by Joe's impassioned rant. And I was a little bit confused, Meigs, when you said that uh, you like Elam despite the fact that he's the lesser man coverage corner just because I think man coverage is the coveted trait in cornerbacks when you're looking at them. And if Gardner has man coverage stickiness, that like that should count above all else, in my opinion. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how the CB class plays out. There are a lot of top corners, Gardner, Elam, Booth, Stingley, and maybe some other risers too. So uh, I did enjoy hearing you guys debate the two. Dylan, I'll go to you. Well, Meigs, you did call me Ben, so I'm sorry. Sorry, for- Dylan. Yeah, that's my I'm bad. sorry for what comes next because I'm sorry that I had a little bit of legitimate enjoyment watching your faces full of excitement when this debate started. And slowly, the longer Joe went on, your face dropped because I think your case to beat Joe was kind of fading away. So I apologize. Um, for me, I was more I was open to hear your guys' deliberations about it, but it was Gardner coming in for me because Elam, I liked a lot of what he could do as an athlete. And I do think there are some raw parts of his games that could be developed, but Gardner is very consistent. Gardner is someone that I would feel comfortable putting on an Island and genuinely go into every Sunday comfortable with him on a top guy with Elam. You mentioned it was Smith. His soul got snatched. And there is a track record of him failing to react at times. And when I did Dylan's dimes and Elam earlier in the season, I said that, that his reactions had to improve. And you, then I hear Joe tell me about the game that I didn't watch where he fails to react on plays like that. And his continuing to buy into certain more advanced plays that I think a lot of receivers at the next level are going to use on him. And I think that's concerning to me. I don't think Gardner is a perfect prospect. I think there's room to grow by all means, but all of these corners have their flaws, but I liked Gardner. I said it in this week's Dylan Dimes. I just evaluated him. If there was a corner that I'd feel the safest putting on the field next season for the New York Jets as cornerback one, it'd probably be Gardner or Stingley. Yeah, no, I guess your point about just feeling comfortable about putting Gardner on an Island with the best receivers 
I couldn't even tell you who the best receiver I've seen Gardner go up against in college is. So I guess that's a question I have about Gardner, and that's why I hope Cincinnati makes the playoffs because I would love to see him against top-tier talent. I would love to see him against Ohio State and see if he can lock up Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I think that's going to do wonders for his stock. So, uh, yeah, no, I guess we'll just move on to this because Joe completely blindsided me with this argument, which I was quite surprised by. But credit to him. He really makes me want to go back and watch Sauce Gardner and see what I'm missing. You're going to love the sauce, Michael. Yeah. Check we'll it see. Out. We'll see. Uh, Joe, your bread and butter about a college that we all know too well with Boston College with our guy, yeah. DA, about someone, you know, Zion Johnson. Let me hear it. All right. So some things that I like about Zion Johnson's game in particular, really good use of hands and pass protection with both his timing and placement, which isn't something I could say for Darian Kinnard. And we'll get to that later. And that's the person we're comparing him to in this particular debate. Also, great grip strength and ability to latch on and control. Once this guy gets his hands on you, it's pretty much over. I mean, Zion Johnson is a powerful man, that's for sure. He also does a really nice job of maintaining pocket integrity with a solid anchor. I love how he's able to snap his hips and and put himself into the perfect position to win a block, which is really kind of more important for these interior guys because the path to the quarterback is shorter from the inside and getting walked back at all could potentially disrupt the pocket and force the quarterback outside. So his, what we call in the scouting community, short set anchor is, is on point. Definitely one of his strengths. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. He's also versatile. He can play in both gap and zone. I think he's a better overall fit for a gap heavy team, but he can more than function in zone. I Love how seamlessly he comes off his combo blocks and gets to the second level in zone. Now, he can struggle to reach block at times and get to that outside shoulder of a defender on some stretch plays, but he still maintains the effort to cut the defender off and create a uh, cutback plan. So it's not ideal, but it's passable. You know, reach blocking is, could be hard for even some of the better players in the NFL. So I'm not going to completely knock him for that. Listen, I was, I was impressed with Zion. He was really just a joy to watch. Now, he has been criticized for his mental processing and ability to pick up stunts and blitzes, but I didn't see that. I saw a player who keeps his eyes active and is very well aware of his surroundings. In fact, his ability to pass off his defender to the adjacent lineman and pick up a stunt or a looper was seamless. I thought that was actually one of his strengths. So after watching him, I gave him a late round one to early second round grade. I believe he has the potential to be a day one starter. 
there are some flaws and things to improve, like, listen, like every player, but this pro prospect really has the chance to come in and make an impact on whatever team drafts him. I really believe that, which I personally kind of can't say for Darian Kinnard. I, you know, if I'm going to go into Darian Kinnard a little bit, maybe I should let Dylan kind of, you know, have his piece first, but let me touch on it for just a second. You know, from a, from a technical standpoint, Darian Kinnard has a lot of work to do. And if you ask me to describe him with one word, it would probably be sloppy. Or if I'm going to be nicer, I would say unrefined. But it's really kind of more sloppy than, than unrefined. His hand placement is inconsistent, borderline reckless at times. Just some weird stuff too, like how he drops his right hand below his waist on some pass sets. I can't understand at all why he would do that. It's And considering, and I, I know you're going to love this, Meeks, he's been starting for about four years. He's what they call a super senior. So he's pretty much almost eligible for Medicare. Um, no, I'm kidding. I really don't know what his, uh, what his age is, but we got to definitely check that out. But listen, yeah, from a technical standpoint, he has a lot of work to do. I gave him like a second round grade because what he does with his footwork, and this is where the kind of love-hate relationship came between me and Kennard, he has some really nice footwork. I can't deny that. He buries pass sets. He even can vary a pass set within a, within a pass set. Some really nice advanced stuff for somebody that I wasn't expecting to see that from. And one kind of knock on his footwork, even though I think overall it was pretty good, is that sometimes he stops his feet at the most inopportune times, which I think Dylan probably is very familiar with having watched Rasheed Walker every week at Penn State. Sorry, Dylan. But overall, listen, you got to go with Johnson over Kennard. He's just a more refined prospect, just a more pro-ready guy. That's pretty much it. Dylan, um, see, Joe's out for blood tonight. So uh, please, please uh, give me a retort. I'm sorry, Meeks, but I'm going to go right back at him. I'm not backing down like you did and getting a little flustered here. So we were in the group chat the other day discussing the fact that I wasn't exactly enthralled with getting Darian Kennard for my uh, offensive lineman. I tried to make the case for a couple other guys and initially watched it. And you guys firsthand had the reactions. His hand placement was awful, awful in the tape I watched. It was sloppy. And like you said, Joe, it just kind of left me scratching my head a lot. Like, why was he doing certain things? But he's very active with his hands, which I got to give him credit for. For a guy as big as he is, 6'5", 345, he's incredibly nimble with his feet. And like you said, his footwork is exceptional. And I know I'm going to turn back on you where, you know, we talked a lot about Aquanu a couple of weeks ago, varying a pass set within a pass set and how I needed to catch that. And that's what I was missing on the tape. I saw it on this one, Joe. The more I took, looked into it, Kennard is actually pretty advanced as a pass blocker. I was rather impressed. As a run blocker, I was very impressed. The guy's a mauler. He is versatile. I could see – I couldn't see them kicking him into guard, but I could see a potential where you have a monster mauler in there. But 6'5", 345, he's much better suited as a tackle. He's imposing. He's aggressive. He's efficient. And I just – I kind of started – to fall in love with him more as we went on. Am I going to say that he's a guy I would put with a first round grade? No. But if I'm going to go with a guy who's got the size, the potential, yes, he's unrefined and yes, his hand placement and there's other aspects of his game that leave me worrisome at times. But if I'm going to go with a guy who has the potential to be a very strong prospect moving forward, I'm going to go with Kennard. If I'm going to go with the safe play, yeah, I go Zion Johnson because there is a lot of his game that I do like, but I don't like the lack of versatility. I do think that there's more room for Kennard to possibly move to guard than there is to, for Johnson to move to tackle. And Johnson's played a little bit of tackle and I haven't liked what I saw. His size isn't necessarily ideal. 
And I think you kind of hit on it. His reach blocking is not great. Some of the angles he took were questionable in terms of trying to open up the run game. And I do think that there was a lot of his game that could be worked on as well, but he's not as unrefined as Kennard, which I'll give that to you. But I think if you're going to go potential, I think you go Darius Kinnard, or Darian Kennard. I like that. So you see him more as an offensive tackle. Yeah, I do. I could see him kicking inside a guard and being successful, but I think especially for the Jets, if we were going to, this is the fit thing here. If we were going to move Kennard, if we end up drafting Kennard, I could see Kennard technically going to right tackle, and then you have Becton on the left side, and then AVT left guard, and then maybe move Fant in at right guard. And I wouldn't be mad about that. I think that could be a nice combo, and definitely we get Greg Van Roten out of there. And I think that's, no matter how we do that, that's a success. So I think I could see more at tackle, but he does have the potential to be a baller at guard, but yeah, he's I more actually, efficient at tackle. I actually uh, really like that take. A lot of people, that's why we compared Zion Johnson to Kennard, because everybody was saying that Kennard is this interior offensive lineman. But I don't really see him that way. I feel like his best asset is his footwork at offensive tackle. What he does with his feet at offensive tackle is honestly, it's, it's kind of special. It's, it's really good. I was, I was impressed. Like, just like Dylan, I, the more I watch him, the more I liked him. I feel like he has a lot of issues with keeping his hands on guard. He doesn't protect his chest. He's kind of have a really bad pad level. He doesn't know how to base more of a, a waist bender than a, than a knee bender. I feel like if you put him in at guard, like smaller, shorter defensive tackles are going to kick his ass. Like they're going to eat him up. Like he already doesn't, he already has issues with his, his hand placement and timing, even sometimes at tackle. I could just imagine if you're putting him inside, especially with all the experience he has at right tackle, I honestly feel like it would be a detriment to his career. But as far as, again, picking between these two guys, I got to take the guy who's more pro-ready. This team is in desperate need of somebody who's going to step in, plug and play, help Zach out, help this run game out. And for me, that's Zion Johnson every day. I think that's fair. I, I do think that's fair. I think Johnson is more pro-ready, and there's not a ton of holes in his game. And I think there's more potential with Kennard, in my opinion, though, as like you said, as a tackle. I think that's definitely something that stuck out to me more when I stopped looking at him through that guard lens that it seemed like a lot of draft analysts are trying to pigeonhole him in. And I would even say this, and I just said this, I think this could upset some people, but I like his footwork for his size more than I like Makai Becton's footwork for his size coming out. And I think that there's more athleticism with Kennard and his big frame than I saw with Makai Becton initially. So I'll say it. I'll say what could maybe ruffle some feathers, but I like Darian Kennard at tackle and I like him as a athlete more than I like Makai Becton. So shake the damn table, Dylan. Like to hear it. Like to hear it. I like both these players. Honestly, I think like everyone Every mock draft you see now just wants to put like Linderbaum, Neil, and have like a four first round pick offensive line. I want to see like the Jets take some guys who need some development, need some work. You want to see if this coaching staff can get the best out of them because I think there's definitely appealing traits about both Kennard and Johnson's game. Outside with Joe, just because with a rookie quarterback, you want the offensive lineman who's going to get there going to be better quicker just so you can help with his development because if Zach Wilson sucks, like, we're kind of screwed regardless, but uh, I do think there's Kennard's an interesting player. And I think he's someone that is going to be on the jets radar, but uh, for me, I'm just going to go with Zion. James, what do you got? Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to side a little bit more with Dylan in this debate. Um, I think depending on where he goes in the draft, if you were the fall out of like the top 45, because of other players like Trevor Penning or other risers at the offensive tackle position, I could see where it would make sense for the Jets to draft him, especially if you can keep one of the right tackles that we currently have in George Fant or uh, Morgan Moses, and you can sort of have him sit, develop, learn a little bit. I could see the move making sense. 
I will say as far as like Kennard goes, just because I was a little upset that James decided not to side with me. How dare you, James? His, <laughs> I, he is really athletic and he can move for an offensive tackle. Like he can play both gap and zone, but he's really kind of bad on the second level. And his aiming points in the run game are sometimes really sloppy. Like he can completely whiff on a block. And when I saw that, I kind of had to start to, you know, kind of move away from him as far as like even wanting to target him for the Jets. But listen, everything Dylan said was cool. I appreciate, you know, your feedback, James. You know, we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, you know, Zion Johnson for me every day, all day. All righty, James. Um, the back seven of the Jets is absolutely horrible. Besides CJ Mosley, who is makes a lot of money and a lot of people do question how much longer they want to have that contract on the books. They're going to need some help at linebacker. And this linebacker class has got a couple of good guys. And uh, there's a guy who's been one of the most talked about players on the best defense in college football in Georgia. So let me hear it. Yeah. Well, Joe, you were just talking about Darian Kennard whiffing on blocks at the second level. It's tough when you're going up against players like Nicobe Dean, who's a linebacker for, for Georgia. Dean is a true junior. He's six feet tall, 225 pounds. And he truly has rare movement skills for a linebacker. He has it all speed, quickness, change of direction. I expect him to run in between a four, four flat and a four, four, five, and to test in the 90 plus percentile in every major athletic category at the NFL combine. He's that athletic. An example of this athleticism applied in an actual game is versus Florida. Florida's offense came out in empty with the running back aligned as a receiver about five yards from the boundary, from the sideline. Running back runs a hitch route. N'Kobe Dean picks it off for a pick six. This is a linebacker, folks. This is not a cornerback. This is a linebacker with that click and close. Um, in addition to that, you see his true sideline to sideline speed in the run game where he's covering from one hash to the opposite sideline with ease. And you see that multiple times a game. I'd say another really impressive aspect of Nicobe Dean's game is that he is a great blitzer. Part of that is his quickness and speed. But the other part is for a smaller linebacker, he does not shy away from contact at all. In fact, one of the things that he does really great, both as a blitzer and as a run defender, is he's great at maneuvering around offensive linemen who are bigger than him, and he's great at kind of slipping their punches and finding a way to get around them and make the tackle. And that's like a really under – like that's a trait that is very difficult to articulate, very difficult to explain why somebody's good at it, but it's something that N'Kobe Dean does really well as a blitzer and in the run game. He really has five sacks this season. That number's only going up. And I'd say the other thing is this is like a five-star prospect and a five-star person off the field too, because N'Kobe Dean is the only linebacker and probably player in this class who has a 4.0 GPA in mechanical engineering. So this is a this is like a certified winner. You're not going to find somebody who's athletic as he is, who's also as intelligent as he is, and as good of a person as he is. This is a pretty slam dunk pick for LB1 in this class, in my opinion. Yeah, Nicobe Deem's awesome, but he's not the only good linebacker in this class, in my opinion. Devin Lloyd is one of the best linebackers in the country, and he moves really, really well. I think he's got great sideline to sideline speed. I think he's a premium athlete that we're really seeing pop up at linebacker now, and that athleticism is something they're gonna, they should prioritize. I mean, we saw the Jets try to make two safeties in the linebackers. They're trying to take advantage of that athleticism. Lloyd plays, uh, he's like the 4-3 Mike. He's the quarterback of the Utah defense. I think he's really good at shedding blocks. I think he's really good at recognizing in coverage and – 
I have some questions about him. His run diagnosing can be a little better. Sometimes he gets taken advantage of. And if you watch the Jets play the Colts, they just got abused with that. So you want him to clean that up. And sometimes he gets a little lost in space, but I think he's a really, really solid linebacker. And this team needs a lot, a lot of help in their back seven. And uh, all the guys, Utah had like, I think six or seven draft picks two years ago. Javelin Gidry was one of the guys the Jets got in UDFA. And they've all speak glowingly about Devin Lloyd and how he was the next guy up. And he's now the leader of that defense. So for a team that really specifies in character and being a team captain, which Devin Lloyd is, I think the Jets can do a lot worse than Devin Lloyd. Joe, since you feel like destroying my soul yet again, please tell me why Devin Lloyd sucks. You know what? I think you both provided us with some compelling arguments this was kind of tough for me. I like both of these players. I think Devin Lloyd is more in that mold of a Fred Warner. I feel like he reminds me a lot of Fred and what he can do. I like how they even use him at edge sometimes, and he could really mix it up at the line of scrimmage. And you see how even the 49ers would, or Salah with the 49ers would even put Warner up at the line of scrimmage, even over a three technique and stunt him and just like blitz him and just use him in various ways, which I feel like he's not really using Mosley in the same fashion, you know, as he would all middle linebacker who's probably a little bit more of a better fit in his defense like I think Devin Lloyd is. But then I look at N'Kobe Dean and I, I remember I watched that play in Florida where they lined him up outside on that wide receiver. I think it was maybe it was a running back and his closing speed to pick up that ball, to intercept that ball and take it in for a touchdown was ridiculous. I was like, have we even seen anything like this from a linebacker? But then I started to look at the comparisons between Dean and Lloyd and Lloyd is more of that true middle linebacker. I don't know that N'Kobe Dean really is a middle linebacker. So if we're choosing between middle linebackers, I might go with Lloyd. I really kind of see Dean as like this chess piece. You could just move him around. You could be your weak side linebacker. He could be your strong safety. You could line him up against the slot. Like James says, you could put him out wide. I mean, there's just so many things you could do with this guy. I was really impressed, a lot more impressed than I thought I was going to be. Now, the one thing that I'm a little wary of is like James said, he's really good at slipping these guys at, on the defensive line and getting to the quarterback. I saw him kind of being more of like a free runner. Like, yeah, he was able to elude them, but I don't feel like they were really in, had the best angle to pick him up. So I do wonder how he's going to handle contact at the line of scrimmage in the NFL. I don't believe Devin Lloyd has that issue. I feel like he thrives within contact at the line of scrimmage, and he might actually be a better blitzer, a better downhill, despite obviously not having the same athleticism. So it's like splitting hairs between these two guys, and I, I want to take the more athletic guy and especially with James saying how intelligent he is as well. But Meigs, I got to show you some love today. We're going with Devin Lloyd. Oh, wow. I mean, just, just complete 180 from just a, a few minutes ago. Dylan, what are your thoughts? Ooh, so this is tough. This is definitely, I would actually say, you know, we kind of brought three pairings to the table where it felt like there was somebody I could kind of pull away from. Um, and maybe not as much with the offensive lineman debate, but with Dotson and Bell, I felt like Dotson was definitely the better player with Gardner and Elam. I felt like Gardner was the better player with even Kennard and Johnson. They're different styles here. I think it's more about what the jets are going to want. And I hate the kind of, take a cop out here, but I like N'Kobe Dean a lot. I think if I were building a defense, I go N'Kobe Dean. I think he's a better athlete. I think he's an exceptional leader. I think his range reminds me of how much I love Roquan Smith's range a few years ago when he came out of Georgia. I think he's a great tackler. I think he excels in coverage as well. With Devin Lloyd, though, I think you see a guy who, and I think he kind of hit the nail on the head, Joe, that would kind of fit the Robert Sala style where he is going to be more of the traditional middle linebacker. And I think he also has that 
aspect of his game as a rusher that I think could be something that lifts him above Nicobe Dean. And I think Dean's athleticism can kind of maybe compensate for the contact he hasn't faced yet that you kind of said Lloyd has faced. So I think it's going to be, like you said, it's very dead heat here. Splitting hairs. You guys both made excellent cases. I think I'm going to go with what I would do. And what I would do is go Nicobe Dean. But I think what the Jets will, would do is probably go Lloyd. But I like Dean a lot more as an athlete, and I like Dean as a leader. So I would go to Kobe Dean. All right, James, uh, since it seems like we've got a dead heat, do you have one final thing to say? Yeah, well, I just want to say, I mean, Meeks, you conveniently left us out. But if you were the GM, he would not – okay, Devin Lloyd, this is fifth year in college. He's working on, like, his third degree by now. So if it were up to you, he would not even be on our draft board, bro. Where you have to take Kobe Dean and where you have to take Devin Lloyd, I think is going to be a pretty big discrepancy. And I think Devin Lloyd is going to be a better value at where he's selected. So that's why I pulled for Devin Lloyd. And I'm pretty sure Fred Warner was pretty old when he left BYU and he's not looking too bad. So, you know, Robert Sala with linebackers, I trust his judgment. Okay. But the diff- like the key distinction here in the whole Devin Lloyd, Fred Warner thing is that Fred Warner is really good because of his range and his mobility and athleticism. Nicobe Dean in this dynamic is the one with those traits, not Devin Lloyd. So, well, hold on a second, James. Is Fred Warner that good an athlete? Would, would you play Nicobe Dean at middle linebacker in the Jets defense? I'd rather play him at Will than Mike. Oh. But. All right, that's why I see him more of a Will linebacker as well. You know, it'd be cool. I, a lot of this has to do with like, what are we going to do with Mosley? You think Mosley's going to be back here next year? Um, I do think this. I think he'll be back this year. I do not know about next year. I mean, I don't know about 2023. I think he'll be back next year. I apologize. Also, Fred Warner ran a 4-6-4, so why don't you pipe down about his athleticism? Okay, but find me another linebacker who's covering Marquise Brown up the seam. I don't think N'Kobe Dean's doing that either. So N'Kobe Dean definitely could do that better than Devin Lloyd. I don't know. Honestly, dude, honestly, if you blow on Marquise Brown, he falls down. So N'Kobe Dean is really like one of these – he's a safety who's playing linebacker right now. He's a guy who everybody's like, oh, strong safety, linebacker hybrid. But in college, he's actually playing the position that he should play in the NFL, which is most likely, like James said, weak side linebacker. And I think on this defense with what they could do with him at weak side linebacker, um, it's tough It's tough not to want to pick him. I Honestly, dude, I, I picked Dean mostly because I just felt bad for you, Meigs. <laughs> Yeah, well, you didn't pick Dean. You picked Lloyd. So there you go. That's, you can tell where your mind's at. <laughs> what I said? You said you picked Dean when you picked Lloyd. So we can tell where your mind's at today. Right, right. Yeah. Well, regardless, you know, they're I both really good players. They're, they're, they're both good players. I think, regardless of who the Jets pick up, it's going to be a win win. Alrighty, guys. Another, I, I mean, we'll see if I'm back next week, honestly. Like, it's been a rough <laughs> week for me. like, honestly, I just feel like I feel like I just came here to get bullied. Make sure make got sure absolutely DM, body. What's going on? Make sure you DM Joe uh, about hearing the phrase Wacko Flacco to get those tickets to see Joe Flacco light up the Miami Dolphins. And because you know, Miami's got they beat the Ravens, they think they're gonna go on a run. Yeah, two is yeah, no, that team's terrible. Elijah Moore is gonna catch a couple touchdowns. Hopefully, Denzel Mims is back and Corey Davis starts to play well. Michael Carter's good. The Jets are gonna be. Semi okay, I hope. I don't really know. Honestly, this team is just a mystery at this point. But please make sure that you're subscribed to the pod. You listen to Will Parkinson. You make sure you're subbed to Badlands and make sure you're following us all on Twitter. So, uh, guys, see you next week.